This is The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry. On Monday, it happened again. Everyone around our city, around the country, around the world, pray with us for those who are currently at UofL Hospital, injured, fighting for their lives as a result of another act of gun violence. According to the Gun Violence Archive, the U.S. has already endured more than 140 mass shootings this year. That's more than the number of days we've had in 2023. The violence has claimed hundreds of lives and left a wake of loss, grief, and despair. The killings in Louisville came exactly two weeks after a 28-year-old shooter entered a small, private Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee, fired 152 rounds, and took the lives of three adults and three precious nine-year-old children. The day after that shooting, Reverend Barry Black, chaplain of the U.S. Senate, offered a prayer that stunned many. When babies die at a church school, it is time for us to move beyond thoughts and prayers. Remind our lawmakers of the words of the British statesman Edmund Burke, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. This is a frustration so many of us can understand. And at the same time, most of us, we don't have the power of legislative office or executive authority. How are we to respond to these devastating moments? Do thoughts and prayers have any value? And what does it mean in a secular democracy to openly and actively appeal to God? My name is Yolanda Pierce. I am currently professor and dean at the Howard University School of Divinity. Beginning July 1st, I will be the incoming dean of the Vanderbilt Divinity School. I asked Dean Pierce, who is my longtime friend and colleague, to talk with me about what it means to meet the many challenges of our national moment, informed by a faith tradition rooted in Black womanist theology. There are families that are mourning, communities that are grieving, and we don't do enough around what it means to lose someone. What does it mean when nine-year-old children are not safe in the place that, as parents, we, we send them every day? And so the reason in part why thoughts and prayers are not enough is because it doesn't take seriously the deep anguish and grief and trauma and sense of bereftness that families and communities experience because of gun violence. We want to quickly move to, well, that happened yesterday, as if there's still not blood crying from the ground. On the one hand, thoughts and prayers are not enough, and yet sometimes it feels like all there is when we're faced either interpersonally or politically, nationally, even globally, with these enormous challenges. Is there any room for, <laughs> um, for holding one another in a kind of prayerful or compassionate attention? 
Absolutely, there's room. I think we're critiquing when thoughts and prayers are the beginning and the middle and the end. And those thoughts and prayers are not followed by action, by something changing, by something being transformed. It is absolutely necessary for us to hold one another, grieve with one another, um, pray with one another. But when it stops there and all we're really doing is bracing ourselves for the next shooting, that's the problem. Now, I'm a seminary trained academic who, over the past 20 years, has sometimes enjoyed the privilege of a significant public platform like this show. And Dean Pierce has been my friend throughout those years. I've often asked her if she believes we do more harm than good by invoking discussions of faith in our attempts to understand, analyze, and sometimes simply survive the politics of our moment, whether in the context of mass shootings or in an attack on reproductive rights. We have very different approaches to our theology, certainly different approaches to how we think about reproductive rights. But as a womanist theologian, I stand firmly on the side of the free will that God has given me to make choices. And I get to make those choices for myself, with my God, with my medical team. And how we talk about that shouldn't be yielded simply to a conservative or religious right voice. I love faith discourse in public. What I fear is living in a theocracy where that faith discourse becomes law. I think people have every right. I think it's actually important in a democracy for people to be able to talk about their faith or lack of faith, uh, for people to be able to be agnostic or atheist or humanist, or people to be devout in whatever their particular uh, belief. I love a democracy where all religions get to speak about who they are and, and what they believe. My one moment of encouragement is thinking about um, Vanderbilt Divinity School understanding of itself and its motto is that is the school of prophets. And um, so that that was its name at its founding. So all I can say is, is that we need more prophetic voices everywhere. And none of us can abdicate our responsibility, even in places like Tennessee or Florida or Mississippi, to be a prophetic voice. But let me ask then, when you say prophetic voice, what do you mean by that? The prophetic is not about predictions for the future. We have no oracle, uh, no no ball, crystal ball to tell us what's happening. But the best of the Black prophetic voice is, in fact, a warning about what we need to do in order to live and be neighbors with one another. The Black prophetic voice is a voice of critique. It is a voice of speaking truth to power. It is not necessarily a popular voice. It may in fact get you kicked out of the legislator. If you dare to say that my stance to protest gun violence which killed children is more important than the decorum of the floor of this legislative body, but this Black prophetic voice of speaking truth to power, of telling the truth even when it hurts and even when it is at your own personal risk is a part of our history and our tradition. All right, Dean Pierce, 
Tell me about the prophetic legacy of Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman is, uh, was an amazing figure, teacher of King, a mystic, a theologian. He is deeply connected to some of our HBCUs, including um, Howard. He is really the father of the interfaith movement. But what I love about Howard Thurman is his description of his grandmother who had been born into slavery never learned to read or write, but loved hearing the text, the biblical text read to her. And so Howard Thurman, as a kid, would sit at his grandmother's feet and read biblical passages. At one point, she says to the young Howard Thurman, don't read me those passages. These were passages by Paul. These were passages that basically said to enslaved people, be content with your status as slaves. And she said, don't read them to me. Other versions say, she says, tear those out of my Bible. I love the audacity of this Black woman born into slavery, now experiencing freedom, saying there are words, there are texts, there are even beloved texts that harm, that do us a great deal of harm. I don't have to read them. I don't have to listen to them. I don't have to abide by them in order to have a relationship with God. So Howard Thurman's grandmother becomes a model for doing womanist theology. First, do no harm. Quick break here. We're back with more on the value of faith discourse in public life right after this. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex. Of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts. We're back, and I'm still with Professor Yolanda Pierce, outgoing dean of the School of Divinity at Howard University and incoming Divinity School dean at Vanderbilt. One of the things that I always find most powerful in our conversations is that you also turn the prophetic eye onto yourself. You ask about when you're getting it wrong, you um, update in real time, you're pretty vulnerable about learning and, and working and doing better. So I think what you're describing here, Melissa, that's so critical is for me, the only word I can say is that it's the operation of grace. I grew up in a very legalistic, very narrow religious environment, loving, but very legalistic. There was no room to have conversations about trans people because it almost as if it did not even exist. There was no room to really talk about um, LGBT issues in the church. All, all of this was it's just absolute silence. And so I had to grow. I had to learn. I had to figure out that there is room for all of us under God's umbrella. And how that learning and growth happened, it was for me in the classroom. As an educator, I am learning more from my students than they're probably learning from me. And so for these past 
X number of years, we won't name the number of years, I have been walking with amazing students from every walk of life who are teaching me, who are helping me when I get the pronouns wrong, who are helping me to understand things I never knew so that I can continue to learn and grow. And so I say grace because there has to be grace. We can't be stagnant in our faith. We can't imagine that there's not room for everyone, the table, and we can't imagine as educators that we're not also learning and growing with our students. They teach us so much. And what will you take as you leave Howard University for Vanderbilt? I will take so much with me from this, my first experience at an HBCU, the six years that I spent at Howard, uh, immersing myself in historically Black colleges and universities, students from every walk of life. It is very scary to leave a place that feels very comfortable. But I dare to suggest that we are often called into uncomfortable places things that really prick us, things that are going to change us and shape us in indescribable ways. And to simply have assurance that in those uncomfortable places, you are not alone. Dean Yolanda Pierce, my friend, my sister, my teacher, thank you so much for joining us on The Takeaway today. Thank you so much for having me. 